welcome back to Sad Girl Study Guides. As always, I'm your host, Amelia, and as always, I'm sad. In this week's study guide, I'm going to be starting a new little series about the women of the War of the Roses. However, this first episode is going to be starting several generations before the War of the Roses even began with the matriarch of the War of the Roses, Catherine Swineford. You probably never heard of Catherine Swineford in your average high school history class because high school history classes like to pretend that one, the 1300s don't exist, and two, that individual women with names and lives didn't really exist until about the 1850s. All that is to say that this episode might be a little bit shorter than my usual episode because there's just a lot we don't know about Catherine Swineford's life, especially her early life, on account of the whole her being a woman thing. All that being said, her study guide does have all the classics of a medieval story. The Black Death, Geoffrey Chaucer, and Revolting peasants. Let's begin. Catherine Swineford was born around 1349 or 1350. As always, we don't know the exact year she was born in because she was just a girl. Why would anyone write that information down in Hanau in modern day Belgium? While we don't know what year Catherine was born in, we can be pretty sure that she was born on November 25th, because November 25th was the Catholic feast day of St. Catherine of Alexandra, who Catherine Swineford was almost certainly named after. Her parents were Payan de Roet, whose name also might have been Giles de Roet. Once again, this is something we just do not know, and an unknown, unnamed mother. Catherine's father was a Flemish herald who later became a knight and who owned a decent amount of land in Hanau. Due to his position as a herald slash knight, Payon had a decent relationship with a noblewoman in Hanau, Philippa of Hanau, who ended up marrying the King of England, Edward III of England. Due, due to his position in Philippa's household, Peon would move between England and Hanau for the next few decades, which would be very important in young Catherine's life. Catherine wasn't the only child of Peon and his unnamed wife. She had three other siblings, Isabella, Walter, and Philippa. We don't have a ton of information about Catherine's siblings, especially Isabella and Walter. We don't even know the birth order of the children or what years they were born, but most, but most historians are pretty certain that Catherine was the youngest of the four. We do know that Isabella would eventually become the head of a convent in England, and Walter would eventually become a knight of sorts. In 1351, when Catherine was either one or two years old, the 
De Roet family moves to England for good, most likely due to political drama in Hanau. When the family moves to England for good, Catherine's mother is most likely dead at this point. If she is alive, she stops existing in what little historical record of her there is. The next year, Peon returns to Hundo and most likely dies. His existence in the historical record also ends. After 1352, Catherine and her sister Philippa, who most likely was closest in age to her, are sent to a convent in England to be educated, and then they are raised at the English royal court. They are going to be raised as noble women, and they are going to be taught to read and speak French, which marks them as the 1% in English society at the time. During their time in the English court, Catherine is going to meet another young woman, Blanche of Lancaster, which is going to be pretty important to her later lives. Her sister Philippa is going to become an official lady-in-waiting to Queen Philippa of England, and through this position, she is going to meet and get married to one Geoffrey Chaucer, who is only going to end up being one of the most famous poets in all of English history, and basically makes writing in vernacular English instead of in Latin a thing within English literature. All that being said, Philippa and Geoffrey are not going to have the happiest of marriages. A few years later, in either 1366 or possibly 1362, because as we've established, the whole paper trail on Catherine Swineford's early life isn't exactly reliable, Catherine is going to get married to a lesser English knight, Sir Hugh Swineford of Kettlehorp. I really hope this marriage happened in 1366 rather than in 1362, because if it was in 1362, Catherine would have only been 12, and yes, really young marriages weren't exactly unheard of in this time period, but for a not super high-ranking noblewoman like Catherine, they weren't exactly normal which makes me think this marriage most likely happened in 1366 when Catherine was 15 or 16 because that was a slightly more normal age for women of her noble stature to get married. The marriage between Catherine and Sir Hugh Swineford isn't exactly exciting for Catherine. Sir Hugh is a decade older than her. He hasn't exactly made a reputation for being the greatest knight ever, whereas Catherine is known for being a great beauty at court and probably thought she could have done a bit better. No offense to Sir Hugh. Life with Sir Hugh is pretty boring. His estate of Kettlehorp isn't exactly that big and has a not great tendency to flood. Despite this, the two end up having three children, Blanche, Thomas, and Margaret Swineford, although there is debate among historians if Margaret even existed, and if she did exist, if she actually was Catherine 
and Hugh's daughter, or if she was just some random kid who Catherine took on as a ward of sorts. Even though Sir Hugh isn't exactly the most exciting and romantic figure, he is a pretty decent soldier in the employ of the Lancaster family. Specifically, he is working for Catherine's old childhood friend, Blanche of Lancaster, and Blanche's husband, John of Gaunt. In fact, Blanche of Lancaster and John of Gaunt probably had helped set up the marriage between Catherine and Sir Hugh. And now is the perfect time to talk about who Sir John of to talk about who John of Gaunt is, because he's going to be super important in Catherine Swineford's life. John of Gaunt is the third surviving son of King Edward III of England, so he's going to have quite a bit of political influence in England. He got his name because he was born in Ghent, not because he was super skinny, and because the English people in the 1300s just could not properly pronounce Ghent. He's about a decade older than Catherine, and soon after Catherine and Sir Hugh marry, Hugh and John go to France to fight the slightly poorly named Hundred Years' War, because, as everyone knows, the Hundred Years' War lasted a little bit more than a hundred years. Which means that now we have to talk a little bit about the background of the Hundred Years' War. Basically, England and France had never been the closest of friends. There had been tension between the two countries for centuries. Basically, since William the Conqueror had come over, it had gotten even worse with, like, Eleanor of Aquitaine ditching her husband, the King of France, for the future Henry II, etc., etc. But the really serious tensions between the two countries really pick up in 1328, when Charles IV of France dies without a direct male heir. The French nobility choose the sky, Philip of Valois to be the next king of France, even though Edward III of England has a more direct claim to the French throne. However, Edward III's claim is through his mother, and French law at the time doesn't recognize claims through the mother. However, English law and tradition does recognize maternal claims, which means that the question of who should inherit the French throne is still up for debate. The French nobles end up giving the throne to Philip, but Edward refuses to recognize Philip's claim. A few years later, in 1337, over Edward's refusal to recognize Philip's claim, Philip tries to confiscate Gascony, which Edward owns, and this attempt at confiscation kicks off the Hundred Years' War, which is why Catherine's husband and John of Gaunt are in France fighting. Meanwhile, with her husband off in France, Catherine gets a job in the household of John's wife and her former BFF, Blanche of Lancaster. Blanche of Lancaster is an amazingly influential woman in her own right. She is the daughter of the Duke of Lancaster, who is one of the major landowners in England. And when her father dies, Blanche inherits all of his land, because remember, in England, 
women can inherit land from their father, and she becomes the Duchess of Lancaster, John becomes the Duke of Lancaster, and they are the largest landowners in England. Catherine will serve as a governess for Blanche and John's oldest daughters, Elizabeth and Philippa. And just as a warning, there are going to be a lot of people in this particular study guide named Philippa. I'll do my best to try to differentiate between them. Catherine and Blanche are so close that Blanche allows Catherine's daughter to live in the same room as her daughters and be educated alongside them, which means that Catherine's children are going to be very well educated for members of the lesser nobility. Catherine's sister, who is also named Philippa, is also going to serve in the Lancaster household, and her sister's husband, Geoffrey Chaucer, is also going to be a member of the household. In fact, John of Gaunt is going to serve as Geoffrey Chaucer's patron for the rest of Geoffrey Chaucer's life, and as a bit of a thank you for this, Geoffrey Chaucer is going to write this book, The Book of the Duchess, in honor of Blanche Lancaster. But this lovely friendship-filled arrangement isn't going to last that long. Because in 1368, Blanche Lancaster unexpectedly catches the Black Death while John is away fighting. And because we're in the 1360s, catching the Black Death is, well, a death sentence. Catherine Swineford is going to help take care of Blanche while she's dying, but there's not really anything that she can do. Blanche dies, and Catherine is going to be the one to get the priest to take Blanche's last confession, which is going to be a really huge deal because it means that in the beliefs of the day, Blanche is able to ascend to heaven. In order to thank her, John of Gaunt is going to give Catherine a special coat of arms and is going to give her the first in a series of special payments that will last throughout Catherine's life. After Blanche's death, Catherine and her children leave the Lancaster household and will move to Kettlehorp. She will then spend the next few years in Kettlehorp, raising her family on her own. It's unclear when exactly Catherine Swineford begins her years-long sexual relationship with John of Gaunt, but we do know the relationship did not begin until after Blanche of Lancaster's death because John of Gaunt and Blanche of Lancaster really were in love. After all, John of Gaunt chose to be married, chose to be buried next to Blanche, even though, as we will see, he had multiple wives he could have chosen to be buried next to. It is unclear when exactly the affair between John and Catherine started because they aren't exactly broadcasting their relationship, but it most likely started sometime after Blanche's death and before John's second marriage. In 1371, John gets remarried to Constanza of Castile, the daughter of the King of Castile who had just lost his throne and slash or been murdered. The marriage of John to Constanza was meant to help England get a foothold in the Iberian Peninsula and to ensure that John of Gaunt would one day get a throne of his own. Edward III was super nice in that way. He wanted to ensure that after his death, his sons wouldn't be fighting for power in England. So 
why not set John up with a continental throne? At the time of the wedding, Constanza is 17, while John is 31. Spoiler alert, the marriage between John and Constanza isn't going to go well. The two just don't click on a personality level, and it turns out that all the English military campaigns to attempt to take over Castile will end in utter failure, which will cause even more tensions between the two. Around the same time that John is getting set up to marry Constanza, Catherine's husband dies while fighting in France, which means that Catherine is suddenly a widow with three extremely young children to raise and support all on her own. Catherine's husband almost certainly died of dysentery because that was a really common way for soldiers to die in the 1370s. However, rumors quickly start spreading that John had had Sir Hugh murdered so that he could have a relationship with Catherine. These rumors especially spread because John recalls Catherine into his household service right around the time that Sir Hugh died in order that Catherine would help erase his children from his first marriage. John might have done this out of attraction so he could spend more time with Catherine, but it might have been because Catherine and her children from Sir Hugh were running extremely low on cash and John of Gaunt wanted to be nice and help out one of his first wife's very close friends. Either way, by the end of 1371, John is remarried and Catherine is living in his household once again. A few months later, in May 1372, John gives Catherine the first in what will be a series of pretty large and slightly random payments. These payments are one of the best ways we have to track whether or not her relationship with John of Gaunt exists. Whenever these payments reappear in the record, about nine months later, Catherine gives birth to a kid. And around nine months after the first of these payments in May 1372, Catherine is going to give birth to a child. Catherine and John of Gaunt will end up having four children together. These four children are going to be known as the Beauforts, after some lands in France that John of Gaunt had once controlled, but had then lost to the French during the Hundred Years' War. John of Gaunt couldn't name his illegitimate children with Catherine after a lands that he actually controlled in England, because then these illegitimate children could theoretically have a claim to these lands, and then they might try to seize said lands from his actual heirs, and that would be extremely messy. The four children that Catherine and John of Gaunt had are John Beaufort, who is born around 1373 and will be the ancestor of the Tudor dynasty, Henry Beaufort, who is born around 1375 and will become a to and will become a cardinal, Thomas Beaufort, who is born in 1377, and Joan Beaufort, who is born around 1379 and is the of the Yorkist faction in what will be the War of the Roses. This means that two out of the three factions in the War of the Roses are directly descended 
from Catherine Swineford. During most of the affair between Catherine and John of Gaunt, Catherine and her children from her first marriage are still living with the Lancasters, and Catherine is going to be acting as a governess for John's two oldest daughters, even though she's sort of their quasi, kind of, not really stepmother, which could have been extremely awkward, although I couldn't find any sources that said that there was any awkwardness between Catherine and Blanche's children. In 1375, Catherine's oldest daughter, Blanche, most likely dies. It's unclear if Blanche dies or not at this point, but there are no records of Blanche existing after this date, so I think it's fair to say that, yeah, she's dead. The next year, life begins getting a little bit tricky for John and Catherine because John starts to lose political power in England. In 1376, Edward III's oldest son, Prince Edward, the infamous Black Prince of Wales, unexpectedly dies, which means that the new heir to the throne of England is Edward's grandson, Prince Edward's son, Richard, who is only a kid. Suddenly, all the pressure for how things are going in England starts falling onto John instead of Prince Edward, and people start to blame him for how badly the war in France and the Iberian Peninsula is going. And around this time, Edward III is starting to lose his usual glitz and glam and popularity because he's getting old, and he now has this absolutely awful mistress, Alice Perriers, who's extremely corrupt and very fraudulent. The English Parliament forces John of Gaunt to investigate his father's mistress and other corruption at court, and it becomes this huge mess. John gets accused of trying to poison his sister-in-law, which is definitely not true. Despite all this, he does manage to keep political control and power in England. But the next year, Edward III dies, and the new king is his grandson, Richard II, John of Gaunt's nephew, who is only 10 years old. Since Richard II is a minor, John of Gaunt becomes the unofficial regent for Richard. Around the time that Richard II becomes king, Catherine and John of Gaunt go public in their relationship, as it were. John starts to openly show affection for Catherine over Constanza, and this epically backfires. Suddenly, Constanza, who wasn't exactly popular in England, seems like the sympathetic figure, and Catherine seems like the terrible other woman. She's a gold digger who's trying to destroy this relationship. She gets publicly mocked and harassed for being with John. However, by then, the romantic relationship between John and Constanza was completely over. It had been completely over for years. Catherine really was John's true companion. Hell, she had basically raised several of his children from his first marriage. She had even taken a public role in the weddings of two of John's children from his first marriage. But despite this, 
Catherine's popularity plummets. She gets an unpopular reputation. And it's about to get worse for Catherine. In June 1381, a little over three years into Richard II's new reign, the Peasants' Revolt starts. Basically, John of Gaunt had been attempting to raise taxes to pay for the never-ending war with France, and these tax decisions weren't exactly popular with England's large peasant population, and the peasants start revolting, and riots break out. Many of these riots are specifically targeting John of Gaunt and locations that are associated with John of Gaunt, such as his lavish palace in London, the Savoy Palace, which ends up being completely gutted. It ends up being very difficult to put down these peasant revolts. They make it under the leadership of Watt Tyler all the way to the Tower of London, which ends up being pretty terrifying for the English government and King Richard II. And then you got that kind of epic moment where the young King Richard rides out on horseback to meet with Watt Tyler directly. And as they're talking, the mayor of London unexpectedly cuts off Watt Tyler's head and sort of puts down the revolts that way. Anyway, when the revolts break out, John of Gaunt, who is their main target, isn't actually in London. He is up in Scotland, and he hears the news and kind of panics and tries to seek refuge with a fellow nobleman, the Earl of Northumberland. However, Northumberland refuses to grant John of Gaunt refuge, which is a major slap in the face and makes John of Gaunt realize that maybe he doesn't have the level of public support that he had always assumed he had and that suddenly he needs to find out a way to get back into the public's good graces. In order to do this, he kind of throws Catherine under the bus. He publicly apologizes for taking her on as a mistress and publicly refutes their relationship and says, yeah, I'm done with her. I will no longer see her. Even though he has ended his relationship with Catherine, he does let her keep all the gifts and money he'd given her, which is pretty nice. After her relationship with John ends, Catherine moves back to her husband's old estate at Kettlethorpe and uses the money from John to buy a home of her own by Lincoln Cathedral, which is nice, but it probably was a significant downgrade from the life she was used to. Even though she and John are no longer in a relationship, John of Gaunt will continue to send money to Catherine and their four children that they had had together, and he will continue to act as a patron for Catherine's brother-in-law, Geoffrey Chaucer, which is pretty good. It's through this patronage that Geoffrey Chaucer writes the Canterbury Tales. So actually, it's kind of up to you if you think this patronage is a good thing. I personally didn't love reading Canterbury Tales, but I can appreciate what it did for English literature. A few years after he ends his relationship with Catherine, John of Gaunt leaves England and goes to Castile to try and reclaim the Castilian throne for his wife, Constanza. Catherine's sister, Philippa Chaucer, decides to go on this trip with John. However, while Philippa is in Castile, she will die 
of dysentery, which means that now Catherine has lost several members of her family to John of Gaunt. Great job, John. While John is in Castile, Catherine decides that there's enough of a distance between the two of them for her to be able to slowly return back to the English court. She begins spending more and more time with Richard II, who starts to grant her public recognition and ends up making her a Lady of the Garter, which is a really big deal in, cult, in court culture. This shows that even though she had been a mistress, she has a good enough of a reputation within the English court to go to take on a fairly public-facing role. Three years after leaving for Castile, John of Gaunt finally returns back to England, which was a good thing because England is going through some pretty major political issues because while Richard II is personally very nice to Catherine Swineford, it turns out that he is not exactly the greatest ruler and he has a habit of relying extremely heavily on one particular group of favorites, which makes him extremely unpopular with Parliament and the English court writ large. In particular, John of Gaunt's oldest son, Henry, has started to push against Richard and his group of favorites and starts forming what is known as the appellates to counter the power of Richard's favorites, which is causing a whole lot of drama, which is right on the verge of boiling over when John of Gaunt returns to England. John of Gaunt is able to take this rapidly boiling drama and reduce it more to a low simmer. When John returns to England in 1389, he and Catherine resume a friendship. As far as I was able to tell, they're not sleeping together at this point, but he is giving Catherine some awfully nice gifts, a lot of brooches, a lot of jewelry, a lot of money, and the two start working together to set up good future positions for their children. Their oldest son, they send him on a crusade with John's oldest legitimate son and set him up with a pretty nice marriage. They send their second son into the church via a pretty excellent education and they arrange a really stellar marriage for their daughter. Even though these children are illegitimate, they are very well taken care of, which is what you want as a noblewoman in 1300s England. Then in 1394, Catherine gets the biggest break she could probably imagine. John of Gaunt's second wife, Constanza of Castile, dies unexpectedly. Constanza's death allows Catherine and John to finally, truly reconcile. True, they do have to wait a year to really do anything in terms of their relationship because of decorum and propriety, and in that year interim, they do have to be somewhat discreet, but now they can finally get married. And it's pretty clear to everyone that 
Constanza had died of natural causes, so they don't have to worry about any terrible rumors swirling around that John had had her secretly murdered so he could be with Catherine. And by now, Catherine has a pretty excellent reputation. So by marrying John, it's not like she's suddenly going to be plunged into the depths of scandal the way she was when John made their relationship public the first time. About two years after Constanza died, Catherine Swineford and John of Gaunt get married in the Lincoln Cathedral on January 14th, 1396. As a result of their marriage, Catherine becomes the Duchess of Lancaster and the highest-ranked woman in England since Richard II wasn't actually married at the time. Even though Catherine did have a pretty good reputation when she married John, the marriage still was fairly controversial in England because of the whole her being John's mistress before the two had actually been married and because the two did have multiple children out of wedlock together. However, that being said, the marriage was still socially acceptable enough for Richard II to approve of it from the outset, and that was really important. The king did have to approve of the marriage for it to be legally binding. After the wedding, both Richard II and the Pope retroactively made Catherine and John's children together legitimate. This allowed the Beaufort children to get major titles and noble honors and to pass those titles and honors onto their children, which was huge. They were no longer reliant solely on the grace of their father to succeed in life. However, this retroactive legitimation came with a catch. The Beaufort children were not allowed to enter the English line of succession, which would cause some pretty big drama down the line because both the Yorks and especially the Tudors would get their claims to the throne of England from the idea that Catherine and John's children were part of the line of succession. Soon after her marriage to John of Gaunt, Catherine became in charge of escorting Richard II's future wife, Isabel of Valois, to England. Right before Catherine's marriage, Richard II's first wife, Anne of Bohemia, had died unexpectedly. And Richard II didn't have any children, and as always, an heir is needed. So he went back on the marriage market, and after some negotiation, Isabel of Valois, a French princess, was chosen to be his new wife. Isabel was only six years old at the time, but she was chosen because everyone was hoping that a marriage between an English king and a French princess would help reach some sort of end to the Hundred Years' War. Catherine was given the role of guiding Isabel when she reached England because, one, John of Gaunt had been very key in setting up the marriage, and two, because Catherine did have a stellar reputation and did have, and did have experience as a nursemaid, governess, etc., etc., from her time in the Lancaster household. 
while all this was happening, Catherine's children with John of Gaunt were getting various nice promotions under Richard II. Multiple, several of her sons were becoming lords, and her daughter's husband also was getting some nice titles. However, at the same time that her children were doing pretty well, the relationship between Richard II and John of Gaunt's oldest son, Henry, was quickly falling apart. By March 1398, Henry decided that it was for the best that he leave England for a self-imposed exile in France to just cut off the drama with Richard II, and this decision was beyond devastating for his father, John of Gaunt, and it was going to get worse. Less than a year later, on February 3rd, 1399, John of Gaunt died at the age of 58 with Catherine at his bedside. It was unclear exactly what John of Gaunt died of. He had been sick for quite a while, and the most common rumor slash historical belief is that he had been ill with some sort of venereal disease, which had cascaded, caused other immune issues, and ended up killing him. John of Gaunt ended up being buried next to his first wife, Blanche of Lancaster, in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. John of Gaunt's death caused a multitude of issues for basically everyone in England, but especially Catherine Swineford. After John's death, most of his land, some of which had been Catherine's too, immediately gets confiscated by Richard II. And a little over a month after John's death, Richard II exiles his oldest son, Henry, for life. Catherine quickly tries to convince Richard to give some of the lands that he had confiscated back to her slash John of Gaunt's children. She uses the fact that she and Richard had been friends for years, but it doesn't quite work. Richard agrees to return Catherine's dower lands to her, aka he gives her back the lands that had been hers before she had been married to John of Gaunt, but he keeps everything else. Catherine ends up moving to Lincoln, where her son Henry is the bishop, buys a house near the Lincoln Cathedral, and sort of stays put there, and becomes extremely close to the dean, to the dean of Lincoln and other town leaders. She is going to lay low, which honestly is the smartest thing she could have done in this situation. However, her oldest stepson, Henry, who is also known as Bolingbroke because he was born in Bolingbroke Castle, does the opposite of laying low. In response to the confiscation of the Lancaster lands, Henry returns to England and successfully deposes Richard, which ends up leading to Richard's slightly mysterious death slash possible murder. Henry Bolingbroke ends up getting crowned King Henry IV on October 13, 1399. Catherine's children play a fairly central role in helping Henry get and maintain the throne. Her, her oldest son, Thomas Swineford acts as a guard of Richard II for Henry and may have been the one who actually starved Richard to death. 
both John and Thomas Beaufort serve as generals for Henry in France and Scotland, and Joan's husband helps set up Richard's abdication and serves as one of Henry's main marshals. As a thank you for this, Henry IV will give the Beaufort boys various manners and will also give Catherine a brand new manor and two annual allowances as a thank you. For the rest of Catherine's life, she will mostly stay put in Lincoln and will just live out the rest of her years. Honestly, not much exciting happens to her. If it does, we don't really have it saved in the historical record because once again Catherine Swineford was a woman and the historical archive from this period isn't exactly friendly to women. Catherine Swineford dies on May 10th 1403. She is around 53 at the time of her death. She is buried in Lincoln Cathedral and after her death her daughter Joan is buried next to her although her tomb mostly got destroyed during the English Civil War as did so many tombs in so many cathedrals. Catherine Swineford is the direct ancestor of every English monarch from Edward IV to Elizabeth II and of every Scottish monarch from James II to Elizabeth II, which isn't too shabby for the daughter of a lesser Belgian knight. So, for those fans of the study guide who prefer bullet points to a full-on lecture, let's do a quick little recap of the life of Catherine Swineford. Catherine Swineford was born around 1350 in modern-day Belgium. Her father was a Flemish knight who served in the household of Philippa of Hainaut, the wife of King Edward III of England. As a result of this relationship, Catherine's family moved to England in 1351, and Catherine was raised in the English court. During her time in the English court, she met a, an extremely wealthy English heiress, Blanche of Lancaster, who would play a large role in her life. In 1366, Catherine married a lesser English knight, Sir Hugh Swineford. The two had either two or three children, depending on who you asked. Sir Hugh served in the service of Sir John of Gaunt, Edward III's third son, and his wife, Catherine's childhood friend, Blanche of Lancaster. While Sir Hugh and John of Gaunt were fighting in the Hundred Years' War, Catherine worked in Blanche of Lancaster's household as a governess for Blanche and John's daughters. The two remained very close until Blanche caught the Black Death and died in 1368. After Blanche's death, Catherine most likely started a sexual relationship with John of Gaunt. We're not sure exactly when this relationship started, but it most likely began sometime around 1371 when Catherine's own husband, Sir Hugh, died while fighting in France. Catherine and John of Gaunt would end up having four children together who went by the name Beaufort. During most of the affair, Catherine and her children still lived at the Lancaster estate, and Catherine continued acting as a governess for John's oldest daughters with Blanche of Lancaster. During the affair, John of Gaunt remarried, this time to a Spanish princess, Constanza of Castile, who he had a terrible relationship with. 
During the 1370s, John of Gaunt started to lose some political power in England due to the unpopularity of the Hundred Years' War. In 1377, Edward III of England died, replaced by his grandson, Richard II, and John of Gaunt became Richard II's unofficial regent. Around the time that Richard II became king, Catherine and John went public in their relationship, which was a huge mistake because suddenly everyone in England was convinced that Catherine Swineford was a slutty mixlet face. Also around this time, we get the Peasants' Revolt over John of Gaunt's very unpopular tax policies. In an attempt to regain popular support, John of Gaunt had to turn his back on Catherine and renounce their relationship. As a result of this, Catherine moved out from John's estate, moved back to her old husband's home at Kettlehorp, and lived a quiet life, raising their four children. The two reconciled in 1389 and really worked together to attempt to make sure that their children would have a good life. And that's how their relationship continued until 1394, when John's second wife, Constanza, unexpectedly died. Constanza's death meant that John and Catherine at last were able to get married, which they did in January 1396. Now that the two were married, they were able to legitimize their four children retroactively, which meant that their children could finally inherit lands and titles. However, the four Beaufort children were not going to be able to enter the English line of succession, which would cause some messiness down the line during the War of the Roses. While all this was going on, John of Gaunt's oldest son from his first marriage, Henry Bolingbroke, was causing some political drama and getting himself exiled. The next year, in February 1399, John of Gaunt died at the age of 58. Less than a year. About six months later, John of Gaunt's oldest son, Henry Bolingbroke, rolled back into England, deposed Richard II, and named himself King of England, which gave Catherine and her children a pretty big status boost. Despite this boost in status and money, Catherine Swineford was content to live out the rest of her life in Lincolnshire. She died on May 10th, 1403, at the age of 53. Every monarch from Edward IV onward is directly descended from her. So yeah, that's Catherine Swineford. I really like her because I think she shows just the power of contingency when you look at who she was at the start and what her legacy is. It is fascinating. Her life contains so many what-ifs, and if it wasn't for her, this random Belgian lady-in-waiting English history would be so completely different. Most of my research for this episode came from Alison Weir's book, Mistress of the Monarchy, The Life of Catherine Swineford, Nathan Ammon's book, The House of Beaufort, The Bastard Line That Captured a Crown, Jeanette Lucraft's book, Catherine Swineford, The History of a Medieval Mistress, and Rebecca and Rebecca Brown Starr's article, The Most Successful Mistress, Catherine Swineford, Duchess of Lancaster. As always, for a complete bibliography and relevant images, you can visit the website sadgirlstudyguides.com. If you have questions, comments, concerns, or an idea for a future episode or tangent cast, you can email me at sadgirlstudyguides at gmail.com. 
If you want to financially support the podcast, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash sad girls study guides. For $5 a month, you get access to bi-weekly tangent casts where I talk about a person, place, or thing that just hasn't fit in to a normally released study guide. Past episodes include sad consorts, cults, and runaway soldiers. They come out every two weeks. They're pretty cool and they cost less than a fancy coffee drink. So support me and become a patron. It's really fun. Next week, the normal podcast will be talking about Catherine's granddaughter, Cecily Neville, and will include me attempting to explain the War of the Roses. So much fun. Stay for the, come for the info, stay for the tears. As always, if you want to reach out on social media, the podcast has a Twitter at SadGirlStudyPod and an Instagram at SadGirlStudy. The best way to help the podcast grow is tell a friend or subscribe. We're on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, and Spotify, and let me know how I'm doing. Rate or review, or else I'll be sad. Thanks!